Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Before we dive in the word this morning, uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. I'll be sharing the word today. We're going to pray. We're going to uh, just pray for uh, a few families uh, in our church connected to our church that have lost loved ones this week. Uh, we're going to pray for uh, Sabrina and Mike Cummings. It's been a wild two weeks uh, for uh, the Cummings. Uh, Sabrina lost both of her both of her parents um, in the last two weeks, and uh, we later father to rest yesterday. So we want to pray for them. Uh, the Bible says that, um, that one, of the, one of the ways that the goodness of God is reached out through us is not only through the Lord, but through his people. And uh, so we want to pray for the Cummings this morning. We also want to pray um, for uh, the, the family of Al Taylor. Uh, Sawyer Taylor, his son, and his family uh, are with us here at Cross Point. And Mr. Al passed away earlier this week. He was a lot of y'all were connected to him because he was a Mustang and he was a bulldog. He and I argued over that, but many a time. But uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Al passed away and we'll actually be having his funeral service here in the morning at Cross Point. Um, so we want to pray for those two families, people in our church. It's just been a wild season of loss um, for the last six months or so. And, um, but in the midst of it, God's good. Amen? And God's faithful. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to bless uh, as we study his word this morning also. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. We thank you that in the name of Jesus, we have hope, we have peace, we have joy, and God is a refuge for us in times of trouble. God, we pray specifically for the Cummings family and the Taylor family. And God, we pray as you continue to minister to them, Lord, you do that. But God, we know that you're going to use your people, not just in the whirlwind of, of a week of, of a funeral and the days before that and after that, but God, in, in the days to come. And Lord, other families in our church that are walking through grief and loss now, God, we just declare back to you that you are completely sufficient and good, and faithful, and God, we can trust you. So Lord, we, uh, we pray for these families, and we pray, God, your, your mercy and your peace and your presence in the midst of their loss. Lord, as we turn our attention to the word this morning, pray you would teach us as we are looking at why church membership matters. God, there is a specific way that you designed your church, and Lord, we want to be faithful to fall in line and obey and love and please you, God, by doing church as the way you have described it in the scripture. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd be among us, enlighten our hearts, make Jesus more real to us, make your church more real to us as we sit and listen and learn your word and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go to Ephesians. I want to read a couple verses this morning out of, uh, out of Ephesians and then 1 Timothy. This is a, a unique few weeks for us as a church. We've hit pause on the book of Acts, and we are uh, we, at the end of chapter four, and we'll be picking up chapter five in the beginning uh, of March, in the mid part of March. But what we've done is for about a month, we are looking at what the Bible says about the church. And our goal is for all of us, no matter who we are, to commit and recommit ourselves to what God says about the church and what it means to be a part of the church. 
The church, as we learned last week, Justin did a great job of helping us see the church isn't a building or a place or a time. The church is people that Jesus has purchased with his own blood from every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation. And it was real humbling for me as I was listening to that that message um, last week how we are a part of the same body that the prophets and the apostles And every person that will ever be saved by Jesus, we are a part of that. It's a very humbling thing, very amazing thing. And so we're walking through what the Bible says about the church so that we may be able to, check this out, value the church the way God values the church. We may value who God has called us to be as the church in the way that God values the way that he has called us to be the church. And so last week, we, Justin ended our message with giving you what we are calling our new mission statement, our new vision statement, what Cross Point Church is about. I want to throw up on the screen for you this logo that helps describe that vision statement. So we exist for God's glory by committing ourselves to God's truth, God's people, and God's mission. As we as a staff have prayed through and thought through, and as Justin has told you that this isn't just something that came up a couple weeks ago, this is something that's been on his heart for the vision and direction of our church, and as we as pastors walk through this, we are utterly convinced that the reason that we exist as people and the reason that we exist as God's people is for God's glory. You, you, you boil down what life is about. It is to know God and make God known. It is to know him in truth, and it is to exist that other people might know him in truth. So the way that this diagram works, and we'll refer to it um, throughout this starting point series, is that the three core values of our church are gonna be truth, people, and mission. If you see glory up top, we exist to glorify God. And notice that there's two arrows there. First and foremost, God reveals his character, God reveals who he is, and God reveals that in truth. That's what we're gonna unpack this morning. Our response back to God in a way that's worthy of him is that we obey his truth. We'll see in a few minutes, we submit to his truth. We practice his truth, we obey his truth. But what we're gonna learn in coming weeks is that God in his character and in his work and in his person forms his people. And when we take on the identity of God's people as the scripture teaches us, guess what happens? We glorify God. But God has also given us a mission and it comes from him and God defines his own mission. And when we engage in that mission and as we join God in that mission, guess what happens? We glorify God. And what Justin's gonna walk through Next week under people and two weeks from now with mission, you're gonna see that all this gospel-driven talk that has been in our minds for the last year, it is the gospel that will take us from truth to people. And it is the gospel that will take us from people into mission. And so you're gonna see this. You're gonna see this. It's now on on our webpage. If you go to about who we are, you'll see this. Because we are utterly convinced that everything we do is for the glory of God and how we glorify God is that we commit ourselves. We commit. We commit. This is what we're about. We're committed to God's truth, God's people, and God's mission. And so let's unpack this first part this morning. What we're gonna do is look at God's truth. I wanna direct your attention first to Ephesians chapter two. 
Be like last week, I, I heard some of you chuckle when Justin introduced his message and then he said, I'll get to this outline in a minute. Let me just echo, I'll get to this outline in a minute, okay? We gotta lay a couple groundworks here for us to understand the relationship the truth has with the church. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here it is, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now notice this first and foremost. The church is built on the truth. What we do as the church, we have no right to build the foundation of ourself. The Bible says that the church, verse 19, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles, that's good, right? New Testament revelation. The prophets, Old Testament revelation. But who is the cornerstone? Jesus Christ himself. And so we see the relationship going forward in the past, in the present, in the future, everything that the universal church and the local church does she must realize that she is built on the foundation of truth. One more passage to start with this morning. Go to 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We see the other side of the relationship of the church to the truth. If you read the book of 1 Timothy, it's a book that an older apostle is mentoring a younger pastor. And the book of 1 Timothy is all about church health. It's all about living as God's people, as God's called us to be. Now, notice what he says in verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That's cool, right? Right next to each other. As Justin taught us last week, the church is the family of God. Here we're called the household of God. But notice what he says the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So whereas in Ephesians, truth is the foundation, it's the slab, it's what the church is built upon, here, the relationship has changed. Now, the truth is resting upon the church. Now, if we didn't have the Ephesians passage, we may get confused and we may say, well, you know what? The church defines the truth and the church upholds the truth and the church supports the truth. No, check this out. God's truth is God's truth whether anybody or everybody believes it. But the role of the church here is to lift up the truth as a pillar. Pillars don't get a lot of attention. What's on, the, what's on top does, Right? The pillar isn't, it doesn't exist to be seen. It exists to lift up something else to be seen. And so as whereas we are built on the truth, here in 1 Timothy, we are called to lift up the truth, to defend the truth, and to make sure the truth is always clear as to what it is. That's why as we start looking at who we are as a church, we must start with core value number one, truth. Because if we get truth off, guess what? Nothing else matters. So we start here with truth. So as truth being our core value, we are committed to glorify God. If you'll glance at your notes, we'll start here. To glorify God, we commit ourselves to God's truth. 
We believe his truth, we obey his truth, and we proclaim his truth. That will be our relationship with truth. And, and that's not something really radical. That's in the New Testament, right? Jesus said it, I believe it, I'll go tell somebody else. That's the basis of the simplicity of Christianity. So we as a church will be committed to truth. And as we will see throughout our message this morning, God defines what his truth is. What is our relationship to truth? We will commit ourselves to it. We'll believe it, we'll obey it, and we will proclaim it. Now, when we talk about truth, when we talk about doctrine, doctrine's not a dirty word. I hope you don't think it's a dirty word. Doctrine's a great word. Paul told Titus to give himself to teaching sound doctrine. And the reasons why we have things called doctrine and theology is so that we can understand what God has said clearly in his word. But for us to understand truth, it's important for us to kind of not prioritize because we, we don't want to give anyone the false notion that if God says something here, it's more important than what God says something here. Anything that God says is important, right? My wife and I were, were eating at a restaurant last night. Nick Sandlin walks in, played at Southern Miss, pitches for the Cleveland Indians right now. And uh, I've talked to him before, but you know, I, I fanboyed just for a minute. I mean, Southern Miss athlete pitching in the pros back in Hattiesburg. And I was just like, you know, after the fact, I was like, what did I say to Nick Sandlin? What did Nick Sandlin say to me? And the dude's like way younger than me. Y'all can make fun of me for that going forward, but that's the way it is. You Mississippi State baseball people, don't, don't even like look at me with that kind of weird stuff, all right? The manager could walk up to you and you'd fanboy. Anyway. When, when we engage in conversation, we leave that conversation and we say what was said because we value what we said and we value what someone said to us, right? Anything that God has said to us is of eternal importance. But within the scripture, we see certain things in a life or death eternal nature. And so, in Christian theology, in Christian teaching, in Christian doctrine, we have labels for doctrines. And I just think this is very important. Justin and I were, were walking through this, and you can understand the things as we talk about truth, the things that we are going to make much of, that we're going to prioritize. And some things, guess what? If you disagree on them, guess what? We can have a great debate. We can hang out and sit on the back porch around a fire pot and talk about it. But ultimately, we're gonna be brothers and sisters. And so it's important for us to do that. Let's walk through these real quick. Categories of doctrine, first and foremost, are what we call primary doctrines or absolutes. An absolute doctrine is something that you must believe to be a Christian. Like you can't be a Christian and not believe this. An example of a primary doctrine, which is what we're gonna spend the rest of the morning doing. We're gonna be walking through what we believe as primary doctrine as a church. A primary doctrine is the deity and humanity of Jesus. That is, guess what? If you get Jesus wrong, can't really be a Christian, right? The doctrine of God, if you get God wrong, guess what? We'll see in just a minute. If you think the Bible only contains the word of God and isn't the word of God, guess what? We got problems. So a primary doctrine is something that you must believe to be a Christian. If someone denies primary doctrine, guess what? We love you, 
But you can't truly be a Christian without believing what the Bible says about these essentials. Another category of doctrine is what we would call secondary doctrine or convictions. Now there's certain things that flow out of primary doctrines that are called secondary doctrines. These are called convictions. These are called distinctives. And oftentimes this is where the conversation gets heated the most. Particularly, you'll see in just a minute as we walk through, as a church, we are convicted that we baptize by immersion. And the reason why we baptize by immersion is because when we read the Bible and we see what the, the Greek language says and we see how the baptism was done, guess what? They dunk people, right? Coach Graves, when you taught people how to tackle, you just didn't say put hands on them, right? You said, get them, right? The New Testament shows us that people were put down in the water. Jesus wasn't partially buried, right? He was fully buried. So that's an example that, guess what? There's people and there's churches and there's denominations that would be convicted differently on perhaps baptism. And so sometimes, it's not just with baptism, it's, 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 it's other different doctrines. And so sometimes, guess what? Distinctives are necessary. And somebody can maybe not be a really good roommate, but they can be a really good next door neighbor, right? There's a third category of doctrine called Tertiary, might call these opinions, where you think that way and I think this way, and ultimately heaven and hell are not brought into the equation. Salvation exclusively through Jesus Christ is not brought into the equation. And so, guess what? We can be besties and we can just kind of jab each other in the ribs when we find a verse that maybe kind of points in our direction. An example of this is is what we call eschatology, the doctrine of last things. When will Jesus come? And there's people that have loved God down the centuries that have totally disagreed. You know, all of them believed, all of them believed Jesus was coming. <laughs> That's the most important thing. The most important thing is that we believe when he says, I am coming soon, guess what? He is coming soon. And so there can be great fellowship in tertiary doctrine. And then, this is possibly one of my favorites is there's questions. We all got them, right? <laughs> when we train pastors in other countries, these pastors will ask questions. And uh, one of the guys that was teaching one of our doctrine classes, this, they asked this question and this studied man of God looked back and he said, brother, I have a great answer for you. It's three words. I don't know. And there's been some things that God has questions that come to our mind that God has left in the mysteries of his person and his will that he has not revealed to us. And there's some things that questions arise and we look, I mean, certainly when we go through times of loss as a church and as individuals, a lot of questions come, right? When we know the absolute, when we know the primary, when we know the essential, when we know what is true, what will always be true, what will not change, what cannot change, that helps us get through the questions. Because we come to know God's good character. Now in all these, all truth is important. But as a local congregation, what we focus on 
is preaching and teaching the primary essentials. And to be a member of Cross Point Church, those of you that are already members, you have affirmed that there are primary and absolute truth that you believe. And for those of you that are sniffing us out and checking us out and what are you guys about? You need to know this. We commit to never budge an inch on what the Bible teaches absolutely and primarily. And yet within our body, there's some tertiary things we will mess with each other about. Different views and stuff, but it doesn't disrupt fellowship. The problem is, is that you can have two ditches. You have one ditch of liberalism that says nothing is essential. Anything goes. And you have another ditch of what we might call hardcore fundamentalism where everything is essential. If your kids don't go to public schools, you're not preparing them to be a missionary. If you don't homeschool your kids, guess what? You're corrupting your children. It was like, bro, within the family of God, there is room for freedom. But everything we do should never be undermining, undermining primary doctrines. Make sense? So this is a good way to think through it, okay? So what we want to do this morning is that we want to move through the primary doctrines of what we believe is Cross Point Church. If you flip on the back, we tried to get tech spiffy. We got a QR code for you, okay? So you have permission right now to pull out your, your phone and follow along if you wish, okay? Now don't, don't go checking like scouting what the baseball game's gonna be on today, okay? But look, we have a doctrinal statement that is now on our website. This QR code will take you right there. In a morning like this, it's a different message in a different series there is no way that I can exhaust one primary doctrine, much less about nine or 10 in the next 35, 40 minutes. We would hear our children's workers screaming at me from afar, okay? Bless them. They are serving you this morning by keeping your kids. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to not shy away from any truth, and we're trying so that you know we're picking up the hood and saying, that's what type of engine's in there. And we hope that when the hood's picked up, you will see the Bible, scripture, chapter and verse, here it is, this is what we believe. I think it's really unfair to people, right, for them to find out two years in that you believe that, really? No. So that's why we want to make it clear what we believe. And your notes are very abbreviated, even sometimes partial aspects of these primary doctrines, we gave you the QR code so that as, as uh, I follow along or as I, as I go through, you can follow along or later on, you can just go back. And let me just say this too, before they may forget it at the end. If you have any questions about this, if you wanna sit down and you wanna talk through this and you wanna ask us specifically, please do, okay? I think you're gonna find yourself saying over and over again, amen, amen. Amen, amen, not because a pastor says it, but because the scripture says it, amen? So the first primary doctrine that we want to set our anchor of faith upon is our doctrine of scripture. Everything else that we believe comes from the revelation of God in the scriptures. Every religion has a revelatory claim. Every religion says we look to something as our authority. Some people even like look to themselves as authority. Man, I'd be scared to death if what I believe came from me, right? 
I don't even get the weather right. You know what I'm talking about? And in Mississippi, you can't get the weather right, right? We're just spitting out random numbers day by day right now. 80 on Wednesday, what's it gonna be like? 50 on Friday? Yeah. So we believe in the scriptures. What do we specifically believe about the scriptures? First, we believe the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God, meaning the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible. We believe all 39 books of the Old Testament are the word of God. We believe all 27 books of the New Testament are the word of God. You know why this matters? Because oftentimes in our world, people's doctrine of scripture will say this, the Bible contains the word of God. We don't believe that. We believe the Bible is the word of God. Somebody brings you a 16 ounce ribeye and says, hey man, this piece of meat contains steak. Your next question will be, well, what, what else does it contain? What else is in this? They give you a steak, guess what? You want it all to be steak. This is the word of God. It is what God has said. It is what God has said through over 40 authors in three languages over 1,400 years. The word inspired literally means it was breathed out by God. Not so much that we have it in the Old Testament. The Lord spoke, and this is the word of the Lord, and Jeremiah said, yes, Lord. But even in the New Testament, I'm not sure so much so at that moment that Paul was like on a gigabit download speed scribing words from God. What's awesome about the scripture is that God communicated his word perfectly through flawed, sinful, yet holy people, and they wrote down the word, and guess what? God has given us his word. It comes from God. It doesn't come from private interpretation. It comes from God. It says here that it is inerrant. It is without error. We, we do want to make mention of the fact that the Bible has been transcribed and translated down the centuries. Occasionally, someone will find a scribal error. We don't want to back off from textual criticism, but you know what's awesome? Is that the most attested book in the history of the world is the Bible. People believe Plato. People believe Aristotle. No, no questions about those ancient texts. Some of those have less than 20 cross-reference text. The New Testament has over 5,000. There is no other literary work in the world in human history that is as <laughs> verifiable as the New Testament, as the word of God, as the Old Testament. Even before Jesus showed up, there was great consensus about what is in the canon. The word of God is infallible. It stands forever. God's word cannot be Removed, but I want you to also see what this means is if that the word of God and the Bible is coming from God, is kept by God, will stand forever. What that means is that it's completely sufficient. It's our final authority. If God has said it, guess what? God has said it. And if God has said it, man, it carries great weight upon us. Now, let me, let me just mention this because we do believe God's word is completely sufficient. Does that mean that God's word speaks to every situation ever? No. This is why some of the cultural issues that we deal with now, some of them are just kind of the regurgitation, the same old thing that's popped up down the years because all of our hearts without grace are depraved and wicked and evil. But there's very unique things that were not in the first century 
Or before Jesus came to this earth, how do we wrestle with those? The Bible teaches God's wisdom and God's truth to apply to specific situations. And what's amazing is God in every generation has gifted his church, men and women who tackle issues in the age. Man, you, you realize how great it is? The internet's a very great thing. It's very dangerous thing because everybody's got an opinion, right? But if you just look across Christian evangelicalism, man, we're, we're gifted with some great apologists, some great ethicists, some great cultural voices. And occasionally, the grace of God will help rednecks like those on your, your pastoral staff deal with it too. You know why? Because the scripture says that this word equips the man of God for every good work. So the Bible's sufficient. What that means? It needs to be in your life. <laughs> we, want, we want to encourage you and challenge you and, and tell you that you're not going to be able to get through this week or this life without God's truth getting in your eyes, your ears, your mind, your heart, and you adjusting your life to God's word because it is truth. Guess what? We believe the scriptures. And guess what? We believe all the scriptures. What about those tough parts? We believe them. I don't go through my Bible and cut out the parts that I disbelieve. I say, God, I may not understand this at the time, but it is your word. I will value it and help me to understand it. We believe the scriptures. Let's move on to number two, the doctrine of God. <laughs> In three minutes, wow, how do I do that, right? Who is God? The scriptures teach us first that there is only one God. He is revealed in three persons. The Bible says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. In, the, in the, the prophecies of Isaiah, the Lord would speak and he says, is there any other God besides the Lord? I know not any. Scripture testifies that there's one God. We are monotheistic. We do not believe in a plurality of gods. We believe in one God. And what's so amazing is, if we could comprehend God and we could describe God and we could explain God, he would be a very little God. Actually, he wouldn't be God at all and we could make the claim that we're God. But the revelation of God in the scripture is that God is singular in his being. There's only one God. But within his person, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We read the Bible and we see that there is someone called the Father and he's called God. We find someone else coming to this earth, saying that he is God. He's called Jesus Christ. We find another person who's called the Holy Spirit, and he is called God. And yet the teaching of Scripture is that there's not three gods, there's one God. And so how do we believe that? How do, how do we explain that? A, you can't, which is good to know that you believe in a God who cannot be even... <laughs> The beginning of his ways cannot be known, right? He's God. And yet he has, in condescending grace, revealed himself to us as one God in three persons. Notice what the doctrine of the Trinity means. It means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-eternal, co-equal, and co-existent. The reason for this distinction is we don't want to get into the two ditches of heresy. One is, is what Islam and other religions accuse Christianity of, that we believe in three gods. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches one God, so we're not tritheists. 
But also there's a heresy within the umbrella of Christianity called modalism or, or oneness, that, that God, there's one God and occasionally he'll put on a mask called Father and then he'll put on a mask called Son and he'll put on a mask called Holy Spirit. But check this out, right now we believe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexist together as God. Baptism of Jesus, right? Father speaks from heaven, Jesus in the water, Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, right? Coexistence. There is no Christian concept of the Trinity without co-eternal, co-equal, co-existent. Jesus is not greater than the Father. The Father is not greater than Jesus in value. Justin will unpack for us next week a little bit how we see in every relationship how there is equality in value, but there's distinction and differences in roles. Why? Because that's the way that God reflects himself in himself. The three persons of the Trinity. First person is God the Father. What does he do? Scripture tells us that he reigns in providence over the world. Man, it's a great thing to believe in divine providence, especially when you don't understand what the heck's going on, right? God's working all things for his good, for his glory and our good. The Father reigns in providence, but the Father also shows common grace to all. But for those of us that know him, guess what? We are his children. The Bible speaks of God the Father as a father. So we have one person of the Trinity, God the Father. Moving forward, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Jesus was not created when he came into this world at Bethlehem in a manger. He has eternally existed with Father and Son as the second person of the Trinity. In the fullness of time, he took on flesh. He was conceived and born of a virgin. That's the immaculate conception is Jesus being conceived, Jesus being born of a virgin, and what did he do? He lived a sinless life. What a life. Sometimes we fast forward 30 years and get to his death, but y'all, what a life. Perfect, spotless. It's Lamb of God, this substitute for sinners. He could die the death that he died because he lived the life that he lived. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. In a few weeks, what are we gonna celebrate? He rose. He ascended and now he is ruling over all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so important we state these things? Because in the first four centuries of the church, you had all kinds of rabbit trails of Christological heresies. Because if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. We also believe the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we believe in him. He is the Lord and giver of life. He is not a force. He's not an impersonal it. He is God. What does he do? He convicts the world. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. And Holy Spirit drew you to Christ. He guides us in truth. This is why when you may hear us sometimes pray, we pray that as we gather as a church, we ask that the Holy Spirit will guide us in truth because Jesus said he would. Spirit of God, make the Bible real to me. But the Spirit glorifies Jesus. This is how we can know whether or not something is really of the Holy Spirit. Is Jesus made much of? Is Jesus the center of attention? Does Jesus receive the glory? The Holy Spirit also regenerates and indwells every believer. You're alive this morning as a Christian because the Holy Spirit changed your heart. You know what? I like the old song, I've decided to follow Jesus. 
But before the Holy Spirit worked in my, my life, I would have never decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> I would never wanted to. And he did something in me, caused me to desire Christ. And if you know him this morning, he's done the same miracle in you. And he just didn't change your heart. Guess what? He said, I'm going to live here. That's the genius of our faith, is that we don't climb up a mountain to go meet with God. God has condescended not only to die for us in Christ, but to live in us by the Spirit. So we believe in God, the Holy Spirit. And as a church, guess what? We need to get to know God, the Holy Spirit. And get to know the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you run around like wild banshees. You know what it means? You walk in truth, you love one another, and you glorify Jesus. That's his work. Another primary doctrine is what the Bible says, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of who we are. We use man there, that has been the historical term to refer to humanity. God himself used it. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. So what we believe is that God created man, God created humans, and God distinguished those humans into genders, male and female. God created people in his image to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him. This is how God made us. Nothing else in creation can know God outside of humans. We have spirit. We have a vertical connection to God, broken by sin, restored in the new birth. Do you know why you have value? Because you were created to know God. And this morning, if, you're, if your self-esteem's hurting and this world's put a ringer on you, and you may even have thoughts of despairing of life itself, let me tell you something. You were created in the image of God to know God. You have value. God loves you. And even in the course of a message walking through Bible doctrine, this should show you that God cares so much about you, he has clearly shown you his truth because he wants you to know him. God made us to enjoy him, to bring him glory. Everything was awesome for two chapters. In an event called the fall, what happened? Man sinned against God. Man chose to rebel against God. Let me just pause here and just, this was in my mind yesterday. I need to say it right now. The reason why we believe the scriptures is because there is a real enemy that fights for us to deny the scriptures. The first words of Satan in the scriptures were what? At the fall, did God really say? And so every doctrine we believe as a church comes from the scriptures because there's a real enemy fighting for your soul that wants you to doubt what God has said. And that's how the first sin entered the world. It was a doubting of what God had said. And so in the fall, people sinned against God. And so what that means is now everyone is spiritually dead. There are no good people in the world. I know that's heresy in South Mississippi, but listen to me. Romans chapter three. All are unrighteous. No one seeks after God. Some people have a hard problem understanding original sin. It's kind of like basketball. If you're on the court and you foul somebody, there's something called a team foul, right? Dude on the bench gets charged with a foul as, a, as part of the team. I didn't do nothing. I went on the court. I didn't, I didn't have that block. I didn't, I didn't charge. No, dude, you're a part of the team. And the Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned, 
the entire race was affected. But you, but you can't just put it off on Adam and Eve. You have a kid, you and I were that kid. Our first five words were mama, dad, dad, ball, and then four was no, and five was mine. Right? You might have to teach us how to lie. You might have to teach us how to cheat or steal or fight. One toy between two kids. We ourselves commit sins where we can't say, well, it's Adam's fault. Guess what? God says we are guilty before him. And there's not one person that this doesn't apply to. No one seeks for God on their own. And the Bible says that all will perish without him. That's what the Bible says. And guess what? As one person said before, the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man is often one of the most attacked doctrines of the Christian faith. You can't say all people are evil. Dude, just go to Walmart. It's verifiable everywhere. <laughs> like if there's one doctrine to say, yeah, I don't have nothing against, like just, just go and watch people. Go drive down 16th Avenue. It's pretty evident we're jacked up, right? The Bible teaches that. Now, the story could be over at this point, y'all, but it's not. It's not. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, God could have... But he didn't. Sin is man and woman sin. God makes a promise that one day the woman's going to have an offspring and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the damage that's been done in the garden is going to bring about salvation to the world because somebody's going to come. And in the Old Testament, you start hearing the whispers and the shouts and pictures and types and prophecies. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. The Lord Jesus shows up and he preaches the gospel. Can I just say this? At Cross Point Church, we believe the gospel. We don't believe some Bible belt cultural morality that if you just clean yourself up and try a little better, you'll get better. We don't believe that. We believe the gospel. And what does the gospel say? The gospel first says that we can never save ourselves. The gospel says we can never save ourselves. I can't do enough to meet God's standard. I can't do enough by my works. If I live perfectly from this day all the day, way to my death, guess what? A half a perfect life would never atone for the other imperfect life that I've lived. I can never save myself. It's not me contributing three parts and God doing all the rest. Nothing of my own I bring, the Bible clearly teaches, as the old hymn says. So we can't save ourselves, so somebody came down to save us. In Jesus' death and resurrection, Forgiveness and spiritual life are provided. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And y'all, this is why the gospel shines brighter than any other philosophy in the world. Because every other religion says, reach up, try a little harder, do a little more, get God's attention. The Bible says, you can do nothing, you can't reach up. So he came down. He forgives us and he gives us life. We don't budge an inch from the exclusivity of Christ. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And let me tell you this, we can boldly but lovingly be intolerant in this regard. 
Jesus was. You know why we're intolerant of other ways of salvation? Now we just don't like hit people upside the head with Bibles. Like, just tell people, well, you don't believe that. You're going to hell. I mean, no. But let me say this. Salvation from sin and hell is only in Jesus Christ. That's why we pray for Bangladesh. Because they need the gospel. That's why we pray for Calhoun, because they need the gospel. That's why we pray for our state, because they need the gospel, because salvation is not found in anyone else but Jesus. What's our response to the gospel? God commands that we all repent and believe. God commands this. This isn't optional. Repentance is turning from something. Faith is turning to something. You'll find in our doctrinal statement, we have this specific sentence, what God commands, God enables. Because guess what? I can't repent in faith without God's help. I can't believe without God's help. You know what? We find in the scripture that repentance is a gift of God and faith is a gift of God and what God demands of me, God enables me to do. What a God! He doesn't just sit there and say, well, missed it that time, let's try it again. God gives me the desire to repent. God helps me believe all who are saved experience spiritual rebirth and a changed life. If anybody's in Christ, what are they? They're new creation. Now this is a distinction, but we want to include it. We believe all who are saved should be baptized by immersion. That's a distinctive. Is that a primary doctrine? No, but guess what? It's a secondary doctrine. And it's based off the fact that we see the New Testament people being baptized by immersion because guess what? Jesus really went down and was buried. And guess what? Jesus really rose again. So that's why we baptize by immersion. We shouldn't budge from that, right? I like the fact that I can identify with Jesus in that way, right? So that's a distinctive. And lovingly, guess what? If you haven't been baptized, but you've been born again, check this out. Please obey Jesus and be baptized. Because every time someone is baptized, the gospel is proclaimed. He died, you died. He was buried, you're buried. He was raised, you're raised. And guess what? People in this place go nuts when people get baptized. Because it's a proclamation of the gospel. Let's move through these last few. Every person that is saved is sanctified. What that means is you are conformed to the image of Christ. Why were you saved? Because God is working in your life to make you look like Jesus. Justin has something that we were working on this particular doctrinal statement. You can see it on the page. The last line of the sanctification, this is so good. It'll say something to this effect, that sanctification is the evidence of our justification and it's the hope for our glorification. We know we got saved in the past because we're being saved in the present, right? Jesus deals with bad Monday, Monday mornings in my life, right? He won't let me get to lunch without dealing with me. You're cranky, you got a bad attitude. Why'd you growl at Lauren this morning? Repent, right? That's how the Lord talks to me. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. We are being sanctified. We should be filled and controlled by the Spirit. And we should also exercise gifts. If you have never joined Cross Point Church, 
When you sit down with one of us, which isn't intimidating, you talk to people that have been through pastor interviews, we laugh and get to know each other better. One of the things we always ask is, how's God gifted you? Because like, we wanna know. Man, his ministry needs rise up and Jesus has gifted this person and the spirit has gifted this person. Like, like we, wanna, we wanna allow you to serve, man. Every Christian has gifts. If you didn't know you have gifts, like pray about it and ask him, what have you gifted me in? There's a list in the New Testament. He's gifted all of us. Cross Point Church, we believe in the family and what we believe about the family is that we believe God defines the family. Amen? God's definition works regardless of the time. God's definition of the family, particularly for marriage, is that marriage is between one man and one woman. It's always been that way since the beginning of time. That definition did not come about later in church history. Jesus affirmed it. Jesus in Matthew 19 affirmed what was said in Genesis chapter two. So guess what? I don't get to redefine what God's already defined. And if people in our path, if they struggle with this definition of marriage or they redefine this definition of marriage, guess what we need to do? Lovingly, we need to share. It's not an opportunity to win an argument. It's an opportunity to help someone know God's truth. Because we live in a fallen world, marriage doesn't look like this a lot. And you know what? The New Testament clearly teaches us how we walk people through tough situations. And you know what? God's a God of redemption, amen? What we walked through last summer, Ruth, right? Hopeless. At the end, God's good. Children should honor their parents. I said it. Students, I thought a parent would say amen after that. And the family's the first place for discipleship. If you got students, don't, don't put off their sanctification on, on Paul and Ryan and our student ministry volunteers. Talk to your kids about Jesus at home, right? It's the first place. I won't spend a lot of time at, on, on this next part called the church. Justin walked us through that the universal church is found all over the world, but let me make two distinctives on these next two points. Bo, just put them both up if you would at the same time. Local churches, we believe, are self-governing. And the reason we believe that is when this church was founded, in our actual early belief statements, what was crafted is we believe in the priesthood of the believer, which means that every Christian has the Holy Spirit and every Christian can make decisions in accordance with God's word. So what that means is at Cross Point Church, we don't look to some outside board or outside denominational head and take cues from them and they tell us what to do. Guess what? We believe that every believer has the Holy Spirit, your pastors have the Holy Spirit, and with the word of God and the Holy Spirit, we can make the decisions that we need for our congregation together. That's what we mean by self, self-governing. And we believe that's the model that's in the New Testament. There were, there were times where they would meet and they would encourage, but when, when like in, in Acts 15, when, when groups, when, when the church council at Jerusalem met together, <laughs> they didn't really dump all this on the local churches. They just said, hey, just don't do this and do that. But guess what? You got the word and you got the spirit and it's gonna be okay. Also here, we will observe the, what we call ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper aren't sacraments to us. And because the term sacrament historically has used to mean that the activity itself conveys grace. We don't believe that any magical thing happens when you're baptized. We believe that baptism is obedience, but God doesn't like sprinkle 
gracious pixie dust on me because I did that. And when, when I, when I next week, because we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper because it's what Paul called it in 1 Corinthians. Okay, so that's why we, we do that. We're not going to like slap your hand if you call it communion, but we're going to use the term Lord's Supper because that's what Paul used, okay? And next week when we celebrate that, we don't believe that that's actual Jesus' blood and body. But what are we doing? We're celebrating together the fact that he shed his blood and his body was broken for our salvation. And so there is grace in being obedient to Jesus. So we observe these because Jesus has given us grace. We believe that God's mission is the great commission. This is what we wanna do as a church. We wanna be about God's mission. And we believe that our church health is in direct proportion, not for the money in the bank or people in the seat, but is our church healthy can be answered by, are we trying to accomplish a great commission? And there'll be specific ways that we will walk through that. This last one's always fun, right? Because it's last things. I kind of hinted at it earlier. Guess what? You know what we believe? Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Many different of us, may, many of us in this room may have different thoughts on that. Guess what? Let's sanctify each other in our conversations. People that think he's coming sooner, man, I hope you're right. People that think he's coming later, guess what? Let's, let's, let's endure together, right? But guess what? He's coming. He's coming. The Bible teaches us that everyone will be judged. None of us will escape judgment. If you know Jesus, you'll be saved. The fancy word is called eternal state. But what that means is all of us will either be with God in heaven forever. Those that don't know him will be in hell forever. Again, that's why the urgency to love and share and live the gospel out. What are we committed to in regards to truth at Cross Point Church? Again, we're not gonna bat a thousand on this. We wanna let you know as a people that we're gonna be founded on God's truth. What that means is, is that we're gonna teach God's truth. The greatest compliment that I've received as a preacher, that Justin has received as a preacher, is that we hear people say, man, thank y'all for just teaching the Bible. And I don't say that to get affirmed. I'm saying that to say, like, think how simple that is. Like, we don't have to create something crazy, right? His sheep hear his voice. The know on Wednesday nights, Paul up in, up there and Ryan as they teach our students. Daniel comes in my office from time to time asking Bible questions as he's in the word. God and his people. As a pastoral staff, we want to everything we do to be founded on God's truth. Why? So that we can submit to it. And guess what? When God's word speaks against me, I want to submit to that. <laughs> There's going to be times in our life as a church that God's word is going to speak an encouraging word to us and we submit to it and we believe it, right? There's going to be times when God's word speaks a convicting word to us and guess what we need to do? We need to submit to it. We're going to be guided by God's truth. We want what we do as a church to be guided by scripture so that we can demonstrate God's truth. Ultimately, so that we can proclaim God's truth. I'm going to close this morning in this way. 
If you got a Bible, or if you got a Bible app, I want to show you visually in just a second why you should value this. Think about how many you got in your office, at your house. Think about how many Bible apps you got on your phone, how many tabs you got saved on your computer. What you're about to watch happened in 2010 from a people group called the Kimyols. They live in the western part of an island that belongs to Indonesia. Up until 2010, they did not have the scriptures interpreted in their language. They were a warring tribe. Missionaries came in the 20th century, shared the gospel, and over the course of multiple decades, translation work began. And I just want you to see this because I want us to see how important truth really is to God's people. If you'd show that, please. I'm 
God's people value God's word. What a great opportunity to have copies of the scriptures in our language so that we as a church and as individual believers can know God, can believe God, and can found everything we do with the word of God. Core value number one, truth. What's Cross Point Church gonna be about? We're going to be about truth because we love God and we value him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that just like the Kimyals, you chose that we would have your word in our language. As Jesus said, Lord, your word is truth. I pray by your grace you would help us to be a church that submits to your truth, that loves your truth, that is guided by your truth, that speaks your truth in love, that makes what's most important most important. that sharpens each other. God, we want to value what you value because you're God. Give us your grace. Form us, form a people of truth, Lord. Lord, it's my prayer this morning for anyone in this place that is not believing your truth, that does not know Christ, that even this morning, now, God, they would be drawn by the Spirit to repent of their sins, to believe the gospel. Lord, those of, that know you, just a fresh commitment to have our lives founded on your word. Show gracious God to reveal yourself to us. Churches, we sit before him. What is the Spirit saying to the church through the Word? Perhaps this morning you don't know Christ. I would encourage you to repent of your sin and believe the gospel and know this great God. We're going to stand and sing in just a, a minute. I'll be at the back. Justin will be at the back. Paul and Ryan are around. If you need counseling, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you after this service this week. If God's pressing in on your heart this morning.
come grab one of us. If you're a believer and you're struggling with something, you need prayer, we'd love to do that for you also.